Welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. You know who it is, bitch. This is Dark Adaptation. to episode 73. First and foremost, sorry for the hiatus during the best month of the year. I got very sick, fell behind on things, you know, life happens, but here we are. I don't feel well. Okay. Good thing I'm the one that has to do most of this, so you could just sit there and look pretty. If you follow us on Instagram, then this isn't news, but if you don't, we're filling you in now because um, I was on Instagram basically complaining about how sick I was because it sucked ass because it's October. It's the best month. It was supposed to be spooky and everything. I even had listeners give their input on what they wanted to hear about. So we have a new plan. And the new plan for October (laughs) is this in-depth coverage of a brutal true crime case, which is what the people wanted to hear. It was a brutal true crime case. So uh, it's a three-part series. As you've probably already noticed, because we appreciate your patience and your loyal listenership. So I'm making it up to you the best I can by releasing all three parts at once. So you can binge them if you want to. All right. Yeah, so. I'm going to do a three-parter. You're going to listen to all of it. You're going to listen to it all at once. You're going to like it. You're going you're gonna to be nice to my girlfriend. You're going to be like, that was a great episode, Brianna. Thank you for that. Even when you slaved away on your deathbed, dying of consumption in the year 2023, the year of our Lord or something. Yep. I don't know. I feel like I should like, I feel like I should put in like sleepy hollow music here. Maybe some church bells going, some ominous music. Because of the consumption. Because of the consumption. Honestly, you conveyed your point. And you know... Most people are nice. There's a lot of complainers as well, but most people are nice, especially what? all of the people who were like, I'm sorry you're sick. I hope you get wetter. I hope you get wetter. That's gross. Um, I hope you get better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I had a lot of words in my head at the same time, so wetter came out. Mm. I hope you get better, and uh, all that matters is your health, so take the time if you need it. There's lots of people like that. People who complain don't matter. I just delete those comments, or I just don't respond well yeah i mean what are you gonna do if you're sick you're sick it's the way the world works so well i just mean in general people complain about anything like right now there's probably a person who's like this is the most conversation ever shut up Mm. yeah okay so anyway i'm making up to you three parts coming at you in a row all in your feed right now if you look you'll see them all and um with that out of the way sorry i was sick here we go let's get on with the show on October 2nd, 1996, in the small town of Warica, Oklahoma, 16-year-old Heather Rich snuck out of her bedroom in the middle of the night to see a friend. She never returned home, and for seven agonizing days, her parents did everything they could to find their daughter. Meanwhile, on the evening of October 9th, a Texas rancher and his granddaughter saw something floating in the Belknap Creek. Assuming a calf had slipped into the river upstream and drowned, he shot the body twice to sink it. The next morning, he realized the calf was still floating in the creek. 
Upon closer inspection, he realized this wasn't the body of a drowned calf. It was the body of a person. Bold move. lot to tell you obviously it's three parts and as i mentioned this is a brutal case so before i continue i want to give a warning because i'll be mentioning a lot of heavy topics i'll be talking about the sexual assault of a teenage girl some piece of shit dudes eating disorder self-harm suicide murder rape it's an all-around very dark and heavy story so this is just a warning off the top that it's not going to be a story for everyone so just thought I would put that out there. As you likely gleaned from the intro, a story begins with and revolves around Heather Rich. Heather Rose Rich was a Capricorn born on January 19th, 1980, to parents Gail and Dwayne Rich, and she was the third of four children, so she's the second youngest, and she's the only girl. She has all three um, brothers who were football players. Heather was raised in Warica, Oklahoma, which is in the central section of the state in the very south, close to Texas. Pictures, as always, are on Instagram for those who like to have a visualization. Gail and Duane had lived in Warica since 1974, and they moved there from nearby Lawton, Lawton, Oklahoma, after one of their neighbors was raped and they chose Warica because it was quieter and hopefully safer. Plus, Warica reminded Dwayne and Gail of their hometown of Elgin, Oklahoma. And because Warica was a tiny place, they believed kids couldn't get into any substantial trouble since there wasn't much to do. But that's not the case because kids will always find something to do, especially in small towns. Warica had no movie theater, no park, no rec center. The nearest fast food joint at the time was a Sonic, which was 17 miles away. So local teens would often spend their nights driving around, drinking alcohol, building bonfires and smoking cigarettes, pot, and a small town favorite, meth. Oh. And this is a small town. There's less than 2,000 people, so very, very small. Heather was among these restless teens, and she hated being bored. Some nights, she would slip out of her bedroom window to smoke a cigarette in the dark. Other nights, she would catch a ride and cruise the tiny main strip or drive the back roads to Warica or remote fields to build bonfires and get drunk and party. Heather all, always had lots of friends. She was super bubbly. She was kind to everyone, and everyone loved her. As she entered her teenage years, she realized that she was very charming and she was very beautiful. And she became a staunch believer of if you've got it, flaunt it. And she loved getting attention from boys. She spent hours in her bedroom, which was a, quote, pink and white sanctuary with porcelain dolls and a dressing table arrayed with makeup, unquote. Very, very girly room. Plus, she was the only daughter so she probably was like spoiled with all kinds of like girly pink things she sat at her dressing table in front of the mirror meticulously tweezing her eyebrows and obsessing over her hair and makeup 
The summer going into eighth grade, her obsession with her appearance took a turn when she began purging to control her weight because, quote, boys liked her figure and she was determined to stay a size two. That's fucked up. It is. It is fucked up. It's sad. A lot of girls go through that. Um, I said that she began purging because obviously we don't know if she was like bulimic or anything. And bulimia has... There's a lot that goes with being bulimic, but she definitely was throwing up to, you know, keep her figure. And she's going into the eighth grade. So she's like 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And a lot of girls at that age go through that. Apparently, seeing Heather's penchant for promiscuity, her parents forbade her to date until she was 16, which she hated because in her eyes, everyone was dating and everyone around her was having sex and she was a single virgin or an old maid, as she would say. So she was not happy about that. Plus, her family was very religious. In the meantime, she had fun. She made out with boys and she stashed the pieces of gum she was chewing when she kissed them along with a list of their names in a heart-shaped box. It's like the most teenage thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Heather turned 16 during her sophomore year and she was finally allowed to date. So in February 1996, she began dating a guy named Randy Wood. It was a pretty normal relationship. It was really laid back. Um, She had brought him with her to the First Assembly of God Church, which sounds like a really great date. This is awful. (laughs) She helped him with his homework because he struggled with some subjects. And they hung out and talked for hours. Randy would drive Heather around in his grandma's Cadillac Fleetwood. And it was like an intimate relationship. They were dating, but it was really innocent. They never had sex and they were often mistaken as just friends because of how low-key their relationship was. Uh, Randy is a very important figure in our story, so we'll get to know him a little bit right now. Randy Lee Wood is a cancer born on July 7th, 1979, and he had little stability growing up. It was just him and his mom, Kathy, Kathy had no idea who Randy's father was, and they spent Randy's childhood moving around Oklahoma. For example, in the fifth grade, Randy attended three different schools, just in the fifth grade. (laughs) That's brutal. Yeah. That's basically no friends. No friends. And you're in the fifth grade, what, like 10, 11? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so rough. Kathy partied and always had drugs on, on her and around the house. In the third grade, Randy started stealing pot from his mom and smoking it in secret. Third grade. Mm -hmm. Tiny, tiny little baby and you're just smoking pot. Yeah, that's a little early even for even for the early starters, I think. Yeah. If it was fifth grade when you're like 10, 11, I'd be like, okay, that's really young. But I've heard of it. Mm -hmm. Third grade, though. Third grade's just like, who gave that to you and then told you to do this? He just, his, well, his mom was always doing it. He, so he just started stealing it from her and smoking it too. Something else. By 14 years old, he was smoking pot with his mom. <laughs> wow, okay. One night during his junior year, he came home to find his mother and her dealer sitting at the kitchen table in front of a mound of meth. And she instructed Randy to just take what he wanted and leave. 
So this is Randy's upbringing. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> by, it's okay. By 1996. Not the math. <laughs> not the math of life, but you know, it's it an okay life. By 1996, you got that out of your system. Mm -hmm. He and his mother lived in Warica, and they were one of the poorest families in town. They lived in a small house with broken windows covered up with old quilts and cardboard. And even though he had a hard time giving up drugs and alcohol, I mean, he had done them nearly all of his life. He was determined to be and do better, so he was very put together. He would wear Oxford shirts and khakis to school, and he went to Warwicka High School, where he was a respected captain of the football team. Though Warwicka Eagles, he was a running back. He was described as funny and easygoing. He had no criminal history or trouble with the law. Locals liked him. He was soft-spoken and well-mannered. He was regarded as just a big, dumb kid who was, quote, a little slow but adored by the town. Uh, I wonder why he's a little slow. <laughs> the description also makes sense as to why Heather had to help him with his homework. Yeah. So this is the guy that Heather's dating, who often gets mistaken as just her friend, which Randy resented. He hated that people joked that they were just friends and that she wouldn't have sex with him. And he hated how flirtatious she was with other guys. But remember, she believes, like, if you've got it, flaunt it. And she's also 16. Like, she sounds like a pretty normal 16-year-old. If you... I don't know. On the outside, she was a Warwicka High School cheerleader who was voted sophomore class favorite. She was nominated for Homecoming Queen, and she was an honor student. But inside, she was very troubled, and that was starting to show. So at home, Heather became moody, withdrawn, and she even began self-harming by using a razor blade to cut her legs. In 1993... Dwayne, which, if you'll remember, is her dad, was almost killed in a workplace accident. So he was an electrician for a utility company, and a transformer he was working on blew up, and 65% of his body was horribly burned. Oh. And he needed skin grafts and physical therapy to learn to walk again. It was a terrible uh, That's a injury. Brutal. That's a brutal accident. Skin grafts are fucking painful, too. I know. And it's 65% of his body. Yep. So he required constant care. And to support the family and make up for the lost income, Gail, who's Heather's mom, purchased the local Subway franchise where she put in long hours. And Heather also worked at the Subway. And in her mother's absence, Heather had to take care of her father, who needed to be fed. His wounds had to be cared for and dressed and stuff. And she was responsible for household chores as well. So in lieu of her mom not being there, she was the one responsible for the cooking and cleaning. And that is a lot of pressure for a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. She was 13 when this responsibility was placed on her. And I think by the time she was 16 uh, and, and outwardly displaying all of these stresses she was going through, like by um, doing self-harm and these behavioral changes and hanging out with questionable people. I think she was just exhausted and overwhelmed and probably feeling pretty alone. Yeah. Her mom was busy working. Her dad was the one who needed the care. And I think that she just felt isolated, especially because she and her mom were very close. She was the only daughter 
And as their lives were just totally flipped upside down, they were a bit more distant because of the changes. And Heather likely longed for that previous stability and consistency. And especially going between the ages of 13 and 16, those are hard years for most people. Um, And then add on top of it being in a tiny town and being a teenage girl, like, ugh. Mm-hmm. Gail later said, quote, Our lives were in chaos. I didn't give Heather the time she needed. I should have checked up on her friends instead of taking her word. She'd say, but mama, there's good in everybody. And look at me with those big blue eyes. Unquote. That's like, just so sad. Because in that, in the moment, it's easy to put things off and brush feelings and people to the side. And it's it's even easier to look back on those moments and have regrets like Gail is doing, like we, we've all done that. Mm-hmm. But then telling stories like Heather's can be difficult and controversial, but you can learn a lot. Like this quote from Gail gives each of us that little reminder to take a second to check in on your loved ones, to see how they're doing, especially if you know someone who's going through a lot of changes or a hard time, just take that moment to send some love. Yeah. In the fall of 1996, Heather's erratic behavior ramped up. A few weeks into her junior year, a jealous, resentful Randy broke up with her after hearing a rumor that she was skinny dipping at a pool party. Even though they had only dated for about five months and it was like more a friendship than anything, the breakup devastated Heather. At the local parties, she began experimenting with meth, which is totally out of character for her. Heather liked to go to the parties because she was a social butterfly and she loved being around people and getting attention from boys and stuff. And at the parties, sure, she had smoked a bit of pot here and there, liked a cigarette once in a while, but she wasn't really into drugs and the drinking side of partying. She couldn't even handle a couple of beers without getting drunk. So the fact that she was trying meth was a huge change. Then, less than a week after the breakup, an acquaintance of hers, and an acquaintance of many of the young people that partied together, a guy named Dennis Goss, died by a gunshot to the head, which was initially believed to be a suicide. Then, like, down the road, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma office of the chief medical examiner changed the cause of death to unknown, because a lot of stuff didn't add up. But at the time, you know, people were thinking this guy took his life and that was hard on such a small community where you kind of just know everyone so to have that loss and to already be as sensitive and in a troubled state as Heather was it was a lot to digest especially because at that age a lot of people don't go through or experience like death um especially if you know someone so it can be a pretty stark reality mm-hmm At the Friday, September 27th football game, Heather either led school cheers while she was drunk or she was drunk on the sidelines. I've seen it reported both ways. But either way, as a member of the cheer team, she was suspended from school for three days and school officials were considering removing her from the cheerleading program altogether. Dwayne and Gail were growing very concerned for their daughter now, seeing all of these rapid displays of self-destructive behavior. So they did intervene. They actually scheduled 
um, a therapy appointment for her on October 3rd to get her help and to figure out why she was acting out so much. And especially because she was starting to do stuff that was really harmful, like harming herself and experimenting with drugs like meth. I don't know if they knew that part or if just her friends did, but it was obvious that she was going through it. Yeah, and meth's not a drug you experiment with. Um, no. You just do it, and that's, oh, that's the thing you do now. Yeah, so um, I read in one article that her mom did notice that her eyes were changing. Like, when she would talk to him, she would see that her eyes kind of had this weird, like, glazed over kind of look or a weird little twinkle. And she was like, that's not a normal look for my kids. She's obviously high. Mm-hmm. So just starting to pick up on her behavior and being like okay time to get you help which Mm -hmm. is excellent on october 2nd um which is the day before the appointment was supposed to happen gail received a phone bill for a long distance call that cost three hundred dollars oh my fucking god yeah and this is 1996 oh no do you want to try and guess uh today october 2023 what do you think inflation uh $300 was even if there was no inflation $300 is so much money yeah that's fucking absurd I'm gonna go with $545 not bad $588 fuck so Gail gets a phone bill and there's charge long distance calls $588 worth in today's money so Heather it turns out that Heather had been calling the friends that she had made at church camp um, and racked up that phone bill. Because when you go to church camp, they're probably from all over the state, yeah. I assume. Yeah. And so... That's that's just one of those situations that just <sighs> wouldn't happen nowadays. No. Because it'd just be messaging on social media. Or, exactly. Or like WhatsApp or something. I know, right? It's 1996 and all you did was talk on the landline. And the kids today are like, the fuck's a landline? <laughs> so weird sound i'm hearing it's just dial up (laughs) yeah if there's any really young kids listening number one why go to bed can i can i engage the listeners for a minute of course hey if you i want to hear from you do you love or do you hate the sound of dial up let me know anyways can i answer we'll see if other people agree yeah now when i hear it I wouldn't say I love it, but I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll listen to that because it's, like, nostalgic. Mm -hmm. At the time when you heard it, it was probably something that just would grate on your nerve. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It was super grating when it was was going through, and you're just like, oh, God. Especially when, like, a lot of the times you would hear that, and it's because you just wanted to make a phone call and someone's on the computer. And then it's just an awkward standoff of who's got the more important task. (laughs) Someone working on the computer or someone who needs to connect with someone. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, but let's see what other people I don't give think. a fuck about your fucking mini clips, Arcade. I need <gasps> the fucking phone. Mini clips? Oh my god, wait, but I have to save the sheriff. <laughs> Do you remember that one with the pig? I remember save that one. Sheriff. I remember um, there was Bubble Pop, and there was one I played all the time, and I forget what it was called, but you're a guy and you had to like blow up a bunch of these tanks as you ran. It was like a platformer fun and there was like a boss on each level and i was obsessed with it but anyway 
Okay, so everyone tell us what you think about dial-up and also tell us what your favorite game on mini clips was. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, uh, the family, Heather's family, is already struggling. The dad's not working. He's severely injured and recovering. Gail is working herself to the bone. They don't have the money for this bill. So Gail's obviously angry. She's pissed off. She's exhausted. And she ended up snapping at Heather. She just screamed at her, all you ever do is cost me money. And Heather was hurt by this, and she retreated to her room. And then later, Heather came out of her room just to get ready for bed, and she ended up going into her parents' room to say goodnight and I love you to her dad, but she completely ignored her mom. She just walked right past her, didn't even look at her, because she was mad, Mm because her mom yelled at her. Mm -hmm. But the saddest thing is that Gail never saw her daughter alive again. Oh. And that's like, I think, every... Every parent's worst nightmare is something like this. Yeah. So their last interaction was heated. Her mom's mad at her. She's mad at her mom. Typical 16-year-old thing, though, to just be like, I'm going to ignore my mom. Yeah, I mean, Good night, like, dad. I love you. Like a third-party observer, you know, like, it's not something that the parent should bear. No. But it's going to sit with you. There's no way that doesn't sit with you. Exactly. Yeah. The next morning, October 3rd, obviously Heather's unaccounted for, the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department would not accept a missing person report, though, telling Heather's parents that, you know, she's probably run away for a bit. Don't worry. She's just a typical teen. She's making a point, waiting for the fight to blow over because Gail was honest with them. She was like, yes, I mean, we did have a little spat. I got mad at her about this phone bill, but like, come on, look at this phone bill. And... That's when the officers were like, oh, that's why. She's just, she'll get over it. She ran away. She's just making a point right now. But Gail did not accept that theory. She did not believe that her daughter ran away. Heather's possessions were left behind. She hadn't brought any of her clothes or her makeup, which she always had because she's obsessed with her appearance, as we've heard. And she left her diary laying open on her bed. So just things that her mom's like, no uncharacteristic of my kid she's not gonna take off with someone or go and hide out somewhere whatever without her diary and her makeup and clothes instead gail took to searching on her own she canvassed warika asking everyone she came across about her daughter's whereabouts that same day a friend at warika high school slipped gail that day's um, absentee list so, do you want to take a guess whose name was on the absentee list? Oh my god, is it a, a, a certain meth user? The slow guy? Oh, I was <laughs> like, are you talking about Heather? That's rude. <laughs> <laughs> she was experimented. Randy Wood? Yeah. Yes. Randy Wood is on the absentee list. So, of course... Randy Wood. Randy Wood. Wood. Randy Wood. Stupid name. Yeah, it's not great. Okay, so at Gail, she calls Randy about Heather. He said that he had no idea where she was. And Gail noticed that on the phone, Randy sounded tired and emotionless. And, of course, she's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> my telling you my kid's missing. Why do you have nothing to say? And he's like, oh, I'm just tired. You know, I was out all night with my friend. Um, this friend's name's Josh Bagwell. We were out all night until 6 a.m., so I'm just really tired. But I was never with Heather. Didn't see her. And Gail pressed him further. 
Again, he repeated that he hadn't seen Heather. He was with Josh all night. And Gail's desperate. No one knows where Heather is. This is her ex-boyfriend. She's at least hoping that he maybe heard something, whatever. So she's like, quote, Randy, if you knew anything that could help us find Heather, you would tell us, right? And he's like, yes, ma'am. But when she hung up, she added this weird friend that she's hearing about, Josh Bagwell, to her list of people to question. Especially since she noticed that Josh Bagwell was also on the list of absentees that Gail's friend had given her. Um, He was absent because he had been suspended for three days for skipping class earlier that week to attend the funeral of Dennis Goss, who's that guy that they thought was a suicide, but turns out Imagine giving a... (laughs) Imagine suspending someone for going to a funeral. Yeah. And also, what is the, like, weird mental gymnastics that schools will do where they're like, oh, you've missed so much school, that's it. Your punishment is you can't come here for three days. Yeah, that is a strange <laughs> Like, what concept. the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, like, I had an out-of-school suspension once because I skipped class. So I skipped one class, so then you suspended me for a whole day. Yeah, stupid as all hell. And I just spent it with my girlfriend, so. <laughs> yeah, I never got suspended. So. Well, that's good. Yeah, I almost did. I almost got in a few fights towards grade 12 but i had just gotten my acceptance into university and i wasn't about to risk it for beating up some kid so you know good for you i bet all those kick a ginger days were starting to take a toll on you i did beat someone up pretty good on one of those days (laughs) (laughs) bully what (laughs) i have a pretty strong defense to that so i don't agree i know i'm just kidding uh, he didn't get suspended. Also, whoa, quit bragging. He went to university. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a new player in the mix. Josh Bagwell. Joshua Luke Bagwell is a Capricorn. He's born on December 21st, 1978 in Wichita County, Texas to Sheree Sanderson and Rodney Joseph Schneider. His parents were divorced, and he appeared to be closer with his mother than his father. Sharice was an attorney in Lawton, 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 an hour's drive from Warica, but Josh lived in Warica with his wealthy grandparents who pampered him. For example, he was on his sixth brand new car. How old was he? Still in high school? You got six cars? So... He's on his sixth brand new car. The others were either old news or they were wrecked. Uh, but yeah, he was a senior at Warwick High. He wasn't even 18 yet. And he's had six brand new cars. Jesus Christ. Not surprising, Josh was described as a snob. His grandparents didn't discipline him in the slightest. So he was completely resistant to any outside discipline. This kid wore a cardigan, didn't he? Oh, Probably. One time he was pulled over for driving under the influence, but Josh demanded his lawyer and resisted arrest because he's privileged and above the law and doesn't respond to authority. Randy, who, as we know, pretty much comes from nothing, just lives with Kathy, does meth. (laughs) And Heather, who's incredibly impressionable and troubled. Strong Dellen Millard vibes. From... The whole situation with the one rich friend and then the skis of the other friends. Oh, God, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. 
I'm on my fifth airplane and I'm not even fucking... <laughs> I'm not even 20 yet. Ew. What's up? Barf. Just being described as a snob. So, yes, Randy, who comes from nothing, and Heather, who's incredibly impressionable and troubled, were impressed by Josh and the nice things that he had. So they were friends with him to, you know, benefit from his wealth and run in the crazier circle. It's more exciting. You're in this small, boring-ass town. So a friend like Josh would probably be exciting. Heather had even flirted with him until he agreed to let her ride in his white Dodge Stealth for the Warica Homecoming Parade. I was like, I don't know anything about cars. I'm going to Google what a Dodge Stealth is. And then I laughed because it looks like a Pontiac Sunfire. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, put me in your stealth. Huh. But, you know, uh, not from a small town that has less than 2,000 people. So maybe this was something that meant a lot. Yeah, especially back then. Yeah. I don't know. So... Gail goes to this guy's house, you know, Josh Bagwell, or I suppose his grandparents' house because he's living with them. And he, she's asking if he knows anything about Heather's disappearance or her whereabouts because she's just curious, you know, her and she noticed that Randy also wasn't at school and Randy's Heather's ex and just wants to know you heard anything. It's a tiny ass town. But of course, he just shrugged and he said that he hadn't even seen Heather for a week. So useless at that point mm-hmm. in the following days gail and Dwayne were no closer to finding heather but they hired a private investigator and they even had blood bloodhounds search the woods around warica so they were really looking for her as they continued searching for their daughter they received many tips about heather and her potential whereabouts and to gail's surprise a lot of them revolved around warica's drug culture which was prevalent but Gail had no idea about the meth. She said, quote, We discovered that there were several meth labs in town and houses where people dealt drugs on nearly every block. Duane and I had raised four kids in Warica, and we had no idea what was going on. Our kids, everyone's kids, knew about it. After the sun went down, our town was full of dope. Unquote. So, this was definitely interesting. Surely eye-opening for Gail and Duane, but... None of these tips brought them any closer to Heather. In fact, it probably just worried them more because mm-hmm. they're probably like, cool, cool, cool. Like, we thought this town was going to be safer for our kids, which is why we've raised them here. We're looking for a missing daughter. No one's helpful. And now there's this new player in the game, which is just meth. And yeah. People on meth. Just unknown, dark undercurrent of hard drugs running through your town. Exactly. So... She's probably like, well, fuck. (laughs) The evening of October 9th, which is seven days since Heather was last seen, a Texas rancher and his seven-year-old granddaughter saw something floating in Belknap Creek. Belknap Creek is a Texas-side backwater stream of the Red River of the South, which is northwest of Nakona, Texas, in Montague County. And the Red River basically is like the state lines. So one side of the river is Oklahoma and the other is Texas. Okay. That's kind of the best way to describe it. So this rancher is looking at this area near Belknap Creek. He doesn't have his glasses on. And he assumes that they had come across a drowned calf from upstream. So he shot the body twice with his twenty two caliber rifle to sink it. The next morning, he realized the body was still floating in the creek. So when he went to inspect it, he realized it was the body of a person. It was the body of a young woman. 
it was Heather. And I bet he felt really dumb. You should feel real dumb for that. I didn't wear his glasses on discharged his <laughs> firearm at something he couldn't clearly see and ended up actually being a person. Yes. Like yeehaw, you dumb fuck. When I was first researching this and I read that, I my my jaw actually dropped and I was just staring at my screen going like, "Oh my god." It's like god. Hunter S. Thompson's dumb fucking rancher brother. Yeah, no kidding. Jesus Christ, like can't float here. This is bat country. <laughs> like come on dude just shooting at something in the water but and also like is that normal like if you thought you saw obviously it's you think it's a drowned calf which is still really sad is that normal to just shoot it hoping it sinks like is that even how it works uh, obvious like I'm, i don't know i would if considering the body's still floating the next day i guess not like it's ridiculous i know that i know that like when something dies like in the ocean or something the like bacteria ferments and stuff within it and then it can actually burst mm -hmm. and then when it does like whales for example they actually blow up like a balloon and then they something will try and eat it it pops yeah which is disgusting but then that's how they sink but i don't know if that's how that works with calves or but apparently it doesn't fucking work with humans <laughs> I mean, the ocean makes sense because it's so deep, so it's obviously going to sink. But this is like a creek. Like, do you think it's just going to float away? I don't, sink? I don't know. I don't, I don't but yeah, it. regardless, when I was reading it, I was like, are you goddamn kidding? That is fucking crazy. And he has a seven-year-old granddaughter with him. So yeah. he's just not wearing his glasses, toting a rifle, shooting that shit in the creek. Yeah. Like, watch this. The kid's probably like... like um yeah one that kid <laughs> i hope that kid just wasn't paying attention didn't notice but like two like wear your goddamn glasses if you're gonna fire your gun yeah. i don't know why anyone thinks that needs to be said but hey there it is i guess yeah there's your little tip for the day backwater stream in texas i don't know They're yeah like, like god help someone fucking going skinny dipping <laughs> you know yeah they're like tubing down the creek there's good obliterated yeah like honestly i mean he, um i'll just say that it was seven days since heather went missing mm -hmm. and um just straight up she had been in the creek the whole seven days her face was unrecognizable because of being in the water mm -hmm. and because of the gunshot wound to the back of her head so maybe he didn't oh well that's why it didn't that okay now i understand like maybe um, he didn't recognize it was a person. With a, even I know he didn't have his glasses and he didn't recognize it was a person. But I mean maybe because she's unrecognizable, she's been in the water. It was extra hard, hard to recognize. Yeah, I can see that. But you know, I know. Like and also like I don't know. I I actually kind of question it more because if that was really, I'm assuming that's really his round that he shot, and you wanted to sink a floating calf, you're not aiming for the head. It's not the head making the whole thing float. It's the torso. That is, yes, that is so, true. And this gunshot in the back of her head wasn't from him. Hmm. Within, so her face is unrecognizable because she had a gunshot wound to the back of her head. Oh, gotcha. Okay. She was identified within a few hours of her finding the body because, yes, this rancher was obviously like, uh oh, it's a person. 
Got a call. Whoops. <laughs> she was identified within a few hours by her gold signet ring with a heart-shaped diamond, which this ring was a gift for her 16th birthday from her parents. And then they officially identified her a few days later through her dental records. In total, Heather had been shot nine times. Once to the back of the head and eight times in the back with a shotgun. So they knew that it wasn't the gun-happy rancher with his rifle. I'm Yeah, okay. I'm starting to see your point as to why he didn't recognize that maybe yes. it was a person. Yes. Okay. Heather's body was so disfigured that her family was not even allowed to see the body. And the photos of the autopsy were just absolutely gruesome. Tracing the river and looking for dumping sites, law enforcement determined that Heather was thrown from a nearby concrete bridge after they found that dirt had been used to obscure her blood, but they still didn't know why or how she ended up there. This bridge is going over the Belknap Creek. It's just referred to as the Belknap Creek Bridge. It's a 40-minute drive from Warica. It's 23 uh, 23 miles away, like as the crow flies. And it's in Texas. So investigators had their work cut out for them because they're like, what? Why is she here? How is she here? This is crazy. She shot nine times. Jesus Christ. It, the whole thing just did not make any sense. Mm-hmm. While Heather laid in the morgue, she's dead and brutalized. Guess who was crowned homecoming king on October 10th? Joseph. Joseph? Uh, wasn't jo- Oh, not Joseph. I always fuck up his name. Randy's friend. It was Randy that was crowned homecoming oh. king. <laughs> really? Yeah. I feel like Randy would have been like... Uh, like of the a, like team, an man. inside joke, though. A little bit. Everyone loved him. He was just dopey. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Josh... No, he was a snob, remember? People just <laughs> liked him for his money. Josh, yeah, not Joseph. <laughs> I think I was mixing up with Josh and Joshua. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> Josh. Yep. But no, it was Randy that was crowned homecoming king, while Heather's body literally lays in a morgue. On uh, October... On October 14th, 1996, Heather's funeral was held at the Praise Assembly of God Church in Comanche, Oklahoma, which is about 14 miles or 22 kilometers north of Warica. Now, because Heather's family suspected her killer was not a stranger, nobody was allowed to touch her casket. Gail said, quote, we had her funeral out of town in Comanche And we wouldn't let anyone touch the casket because I promised Heather that whoever did this to her would never touch her again. Unquote. Hmm. Following the funeral service, Heather was buried in Fletcher, Oklahoma, which is about 50 miles north-ish from Warica. And uh, that's where I'm going to end it. For part one. Uh Uh-oh. But... As I've said. Cliffhanger, guys. You're going to have to wait like a whole... What is the what is the turnover time from track to track on Spotify? You're going to have to wait a whole like three seconds here. Yeah, the more you talk, it's not three seconds. You know what? I have some few things to say. 
So part two is available now and the story will pick up immediately. There will be no recaps or banter, just right into the story, which will continue with the investigation into Heather's murder. So we'll do what we have to do on our end now, Dyson. And in the meantime, everyone else just gets to listen. Almost done, guys. Here we go.